0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simontov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair. Pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I said it twice because it didn't feel sincere the first time, but now it really is. Just pull up a chair, pull up a futon, pull up a beanbag, and let's get started. We weren't together last week. I thought about it. I thought about it. I was about to beg, and then I realized, you know what? It was Purim, and um, even though Purim didn't take place in Jerusalem, the walled city of Jerusalem, until Friday, the powers that be at Israel News Talk Radio are just outside of Jerusalem, and they were drunk. They were stinking drunk. They couldn't. That's not really true. It's not true. (laughs) I'm just being a little bit uh, flaky and pointing fingers. They weren't drunk, but everybody was doing their Purim thing. They were off to McGillar reading, and it was very nice. Let's have have a Ramburu moment and say goodnight. It is really. They're listening in from the States tonight, and with all these clock changes, it is 1 o'clock in the morning in the U.S. and in Canada. Either you really get, I'm going to read a story about people who get a very early or you just haven't gone to bed yet. I hope that this show isn't going to bore you to tears. that will be a, uh, a Samanex. Okay. Boquet it's Israel. Happy that you're listening in. Australia is with us. Ghana is here this morning. Very nice. My good friends in Jamaica and the United Kingdom is listening in anybody else listening in send me a note andrea at israelnewstalkradio.com let me know and i'm sure that the staff will let us know who is listening in apparently according to the calendar spring is officially here well i have to tell you um the meteorology service did not get the memo because it is so cold Yesterday in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, in the middle of the desert, it was colder than it was in, I think, New England. I cannot get warm. We're moving heaters from room to room. And um, that is today. The show is called The Eighth Day. And you know, I kept thinking, I remember that Beatles song, eight days a week. I said, well, these guys from Liverpool really can't count. Their schools stink. But it's the eighth day, and give it some thought what you think I'm talking about. My name is Andrea Simento. See you on the other side. And we're back, Andrea Simenchov. Pull up a chair on Israel com. Just leave your computer connected and on loudspeaker today. Because if anything you need to know, it will be covered here. Apparently, Germany has joined us this morning, and that is very nice. A Gut Morgan. Did I say that right? Gut Morgan? A Guten Morgen? All right. I'm sure I'll get <laughs> I'm sure I'll get a note. Uh let's see. So, um, On a personal, you know, I wanted to share something a little bit personal, not too personal. I mean, it's not like ugly. It's not like TMI personal, but I'm an early riser, always have been at a certain point. I remember occasionally, you know, they're trying to change the programming around here. Oh, Andrea, maybe we'll move you to the afternoon. And I pretend that I have all these kind of lofty reasons why the afternoon, because I'm too busy, you know, doing brain surgery, not so much. It's really because I'm alive in the morning. I like when the rest of the world is still sleeping, not the go to bed kind of world, like late at night. I can't by nine by 9 p.m. I am a Latka, a potato Latka. That's a, a, a potato pancake for you Hanukkah freaks. But anyway, um, I can get up at four every morning and I'm most productive. So I came across this column and it was in the Wall Street Journal written by. Oh, gosh, what's this guy's name? I think his name is Jason Gordon. All right, I'll have to check that out after. But it's very funny. He's a self-confessed late night person who changed his whole schedule. And you know, I'm a big proponent of change. You know why we can change? It's our life and it's ours to do. And I really believe in changing for the better, trying to grow in this direction, trying to go in that direction. Because at the end of the day, the grown-ups among us, Mommy and daddy are not yelling at us and telling us you can't. You know, you want to change your hair to a different color. I remember growing up and hearing the words, we don't do that. And I believed it, but it wasn't true. I have a sister who has no idea what her original hair color is. We can do what we want. And we also can change habits that are no longer working for us. So here he's writing this story. He was writing a column for The Wall Street Journal. At 4 a.m. And he says, but I need to level with you. It's nowhere near as romantic as this sounds. I'm not sitting in a hotel lobby, tuxedo, bow tie, unfurled, cigar smoldering in an ashtray, pecking at an old Underwood typewriter after a long night with movie stars, rock gods, and other assorted fabulous people. I so get him. You know, in the morning, it's so worth it. The Very early morning for me. It's over. It's over very soon. You know, I wake up. I like to walk the dog while everyone's still sleeping. Then I know she doesn't bother me. I drink my tea and I write. I write my thoughts. I write my blog. I write my book. I Then I wake the husband. I drink coffee with him, push him out the door. He goes to synagogue. Then I pray. Then I shower. And then the day starts. I edit for three hours. I then eat lunch, I prep dinner, I open up my other business, I cook dinner, and then at night I collapse and I'm in bed. And you know what? They're fruitful days, they're rich days. And I was thinking about, I called this show The Eighth Day, because especially when we get to the Torah portion of the show, we're going to talk about being our personal bests. And indeed, how do we start is the day after the Sabbath. Is it day one, or is it the eighth day? A culmination of a week well lived and well done. Uh, we're going to thought about. It. We're going to think about that a little bit, giving you some hints. And um, okay, came across this lovely story. Again, I don't even know where I get these things. Um, is a story of four. It was in a story about. Uh, actually, it was somebody posted an obituary of um, the late Rabbi um, Chaim Kanevsky, who was just Nifter, he just died, I believe it was not last week. Massive, massive loss. And let me just say this, massive loss, not just to the Torah community, not just to the Orthodox Jewish community, I promise you, a massive loss to the world. And somebody wrote, we can apply it to a lot of different things. There's a story of four Israeli paratroopers Approaching the Western Wall in Jerusalem, immediately after the Israeli army had liberated, uh, re- re- liber- re- liberated and united Jerusalem in 1967, those of us who were alive at the time were seeing the splitting of the Red Sea. Anyway, three of the pa- the paratroopers, famous painting, famous portrait, a photograph. Of the four paratroopers looking up at the wall and three of the paratroopers were torah observant and one was not overcome with emotion of the moment the four soldiers began weeping one of the torah observant soldiers turned to his friend who wasn't observant and he said i know why we're crying the western wall means a great deal to us because of our torah lifestyle but why are you crying his friend responded, I'm crying because I don't know what to cry about. A lot of times we feel, we sense, we intuit. When we shut off our brains and we just become our souls, we become the human being we are. We feel that we're walking parallel to something that's so massive, the key to existence, the key to our being, the raison d'etre of our spiritual lives. So I want to follow this up with something else that came across and I just posted on my wall and it's my week's Torah without any rabbinical connection. And it says, if you want to fly, give up everything that weighs you down. I wish I could tell you it gets better. It doesn't. You do. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. If you get tired, learn to rest, not quit. Don't trade your authenticity for approval. You owe yourself the love you so freely give to other people. Kindness begins with the understanding that we all struggle. Do not give your past the power to define your future. You'll be amazed at what you attract after you start believing in what you merit. Don't wish for it. Work for it. My favorite It's never too late to be what you might have been. To heal a wound, stop touching it. And just because someone carries it well doesn't mean it isn't heavy. Stop trying to calm the storm. Calm you. The storm will pass. You are enough. I'm crying because I don't know what to cry about. Reach down. Feel our souls. Okay. Let's not do anything. Other. Okay. Uh, must mention, for those of you who have had your radios off, your Jewish news off, facts. The facts, ma'am, just the facts. Four Israelis were killed. Now, let me get this right. Four Israelis were butchered in Beersheba. The only good news of the story was that the terrorist was shot dead. There was a stabbing this week, for those of you who haven't heard about it, in lovely Bad Shara. Surprise, the attacker was an Arab. He was a Bedouin attacker. And um his history, I think he had been arrested before revolving door of our prison system. He was arrested. He was let out. He's a teacher, a teacher, a noble teacher. So he's had access to young minds and um, he's dead. But he's already planted his ugly seeds. And for the sake of this show, we will name the victims. Doris Yachbas. She was a resident of Moshav Gilat. She was a mother. Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky, a Chabad Rebbe, ran a food kitchen, served others. Laura Yitzchak, a fine, outstanding citizen, and indeed, the sister of a police officer who was on his way. And the fourth victim was Menachem Yecheskel. I don't have a lot of information on him. But I will celebrate him by saying that everyone who spoke of him said he was a very nice man. One less nice man in the world. I won't waste our airtime in telling you about the local Arab response, the Knesset Arab response, the standard expected Arab response. Okay. That is, I think, the ugly we will do today. Let's see, we have I want to talk about cancel culture a little bit, but we are uh, running out of time on this one. So before we come back and we talk about cancel culture and we talk about, oh, something fascinating. The only thing I do want to say also about one thing, a matter of pride quickly, quickly, a matter of pride before we talk about the flip side of the Ukrainian issue is I did get a nice charge when I saw the Israelis setting up the field hospitals in the Ukraine and they've already set them up the field hospitals are ocean open and amazingness amazingly in a land that absolutely is peppered with hundreds of thousands of Jewish ashes the Israeli flag flies high over a field hospital in the midst of the Ukraine. Jewish doctors, Russian-speaking doctors, Ukrainian-speaking doctors. Guess what? I'll have more to say about that on the other side. so join me, Steve Miller, and me, Matt Zucker, for Lighting Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we're back. Wow, that was a quick break. Huh, wasn't it now? all right my name is andrea simon and you are listening to pull up a chair on israelnewstalkradio.com you know i had this thought uh help me with this let me know what you think so if somebody were to say you know what is what is this show about is it a theme are we trying to um are we trying to uh, address a certain issue in the world yeah let me help you with that no what we're trying to do is be real I think we're trying to stop the clock just a little bit and use this incredible medium, this medium of cyber connectedness to share thoughts. Things interest me. And I sometimes think that the things that interest me could possibly strike a chord with somebody listening in. Um, Your thoughts, your letters really mean a great deal to me because it triggers a lot of um, let's say alternative thinking as well. I love also being called out, told that I'm wrong, told that there's perhaps a different perspective. I love it. Um, so remember they used to have that show with Robin Leach. He was very loud. Robin Leach, this is it was the life of I never saw it. I'm embarrassed to tell you. For me, it really, I really shouldn't call it I mean, because I never saw it. But I seem to remember Yachts, the life of the the lives of the rich and famous and I realize we can call this show pull up a chair slash lives of the poor and infamous that's us let's just (laughs) let's just make it real and let's be infamous infamous for our love infamous for our connectedness infamous for making the world a better place um I'm going to read to you something else that you know what Just stop now. Let me just read something else I came across. I loved it. It was posted by my friend and author, Benji Ballant. He writes a lot of books about Kafka. It's really worth looking up, Benji. But anyway, he posted it's a famous story. Actually, the story, this was posted from a book called Major Trends in Jewish Mysticism by Gershom Sholem. But I understand through the grapevine that also Elie Wiesel uh, gives a version of this story, but I love it. It said, when the Baal Shem Tov, and just look it up, okay, Todd, I hope you're listening in, look this up. When the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of Hasidus, had a difficult task before him, he would go to a certain place in the woods, light a fire, and meditate in prayer. And what he had set out to perform was done. When a generation later, the Magid of Merseretz uh, was faced with the same task, he would go to the same place in the woods and say, we can no longer light the fire, but we can still speak the prayers. And what he wanted done became a reality. Again, a generation later, Moshe Leib of Sassov, had to perform this task and he too went to the woods and said we can no longer light a fire nor do we know the secret meditations belonging to the prayer but we do know the place in the woods to which it all belongs and that must be sufficient and sufficient it was but when another generation had passed And Israel of Rishin was called upon to perform the task. He sat down on his golden chair in his castle and said, we cannot light the fire. We cannot speak the prayers. We do not know the place. But we can tell the story of how it was done. And the storyteller adds, the story which he told had the same effect as the actions of the other three. What does this mean? It's never, I can't. I didn't grow up religious. I didn't know. My parents were apikorsim, they were um, rebels. They, 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 didn't, they didn't observe anything, they were defiant. We didn't have the money to belong to a synagogue. I didn't know what kosher was. None of us are exempt. I think perhaps those of you who listened in two weeks ago, I talked about what for me was a particularly holy Pesach. And it was the Pesach of being a teenager, eating what we call chazetreif, not kosher food, not matzah, but indeed chametz, chametz, stick of crackers, not kosher wine, no Pesach hagada in a hotel dining room, a little dining room in Paris, with other Jews, and we pieced together this memory and that memory, and someone knew this bracha, and someone remembered three of the four questions, and someone had the four, and someone knew dayenu. We weren't exempt. So I was thinking about all of that this week, When I, um, I love the idea of this meditation. And what's interesting is that, um, well, I don't know if it's interesting. How many of us have conflicts in our lives? You know, I know some young, young people seem to like conflict a lot. Maybe it's the drama. Maybe it's that social media. It's those, those influencers always, I mean, really turn it off, turn it off. Just keep on Israelnewstalkradio.com. You'll keep it. holy. (laughs) And anger seems to be the thing. Gossip seems to be. The thing, rage. You, know, you remember, there used to be something called the feminist movement where women were supposed to be kind to each other. Yeah, women are disgusting to each other publicly on the front pages of gossip columns. Anyway, I was having a conflict with someone this week. Oh, it had the potential to get ugly. We knew too much about one another. And um, I found myself almost emotionally falling into a place before I was more considerate of the feelings of others. And I was in this argument. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. It takes, you know, the, how it takes two to tangle. I remember t- two to tangle, not tangle, although that's really quite 40 and quite excellent. Um, you know, I remember in the, in, the, in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a mantra, what if somebody threw a war and no one showed up? Anyway, I did not want to argue, and this was not easy. It took all of my energy to put aside the right of my position, the okayness of me, the clarity of how correct I was. And I looked at the bigger picture, because fighting is a small picture. Arguing is a small picture. Finger-pointing, gossiping. At the end of the day, you still have a dirty feeling in your mouth and your whole body. The big picture is, I don't want any more grieve, tension, aggravation, or more tears in the beautiful tapestry of my life and my relationships. And you know what? Didn't do it. You don't have to fight. And guess what? You certainly don't have to win. All right. Um you know I write. You know I write. Anybody who wants to be on my mailing list and receive my columns, blah 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 blah, blah let me know. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'll put you on the column. Okay. Pulitzer Prize winner Ann Tyler, one of my indeed favorite writers. Um I love <laughs> her writing. There's never a Jew in any of her stories. And I kind of like that. It kind of frees me. My life is so Jew centered. It takes me to a place. Anyway, Ann Tyler, you might remember her. She did um, breathing lessons. One of my favorite books, uh, patchwork planet. She's excellent. But anyway, she's talking about culture the uh, culture, uh, cancel culture. And she says if an incredibly talented person has written novels in the 1930s or forties, and all of a sudden it's dis- discovered that they did something bad, something not wonderful Perhaps we should condemn them in retrospect, but why should we withdraw all of these novels from publications? I was thinking, you know, um, one of my other favorite writers, he doesn't write enough, Wally Lamb. Wally Lamb wrote a book, a very famous book called She's Come Undone. Well, I saw that he was a man. But when I read the book, I said, oh, my gosh, this guy has got to absolutely he must be homosexual. His understanding, his concept. It, this was totally, you know, who knows? Maybe that was labeling. It was so female centric. I thought maybe Wally Lamb was a pseudonym and his real name was Susan. Anyway, he then wrote another book um, as, as transgender. He's totally. And then he wrote a, ma- a book as a male, really a quite sexist. Same thing with Jeffrey Eugenides, who writes all different books from Black uh, to different kinds of orientations. And we say, you know, editors today are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for inauthenticity. Journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. You know what? I agree very much with um, Ann Tyler. She says, you know, as writers, we need a culture that leaves us room for experimentation, risk-taking, and even mistakes. I think the same thing in terms of those of us who have a radio program, those of us who are writing, those of us who are sitting at a Shabbos table and having discussions with other people. Because I promise you, what is correct and right today could be canceled, changed, and lambasted the next day. What happened to discourse. Also came out, we have 30 seconds, um, a thought that I want to throw out at you before we go. <sighs> the family, the typical family seems to be changing, seems to be shifting. Is this a good thing? Is this a train that cannot stop? What does Judaism say about it? Um, can we build a different society that isn't as nuclear as we were raised? To Believe, my name is Andrea Simito. We'll talk about that and Torah on the other side. You're listening to Israel News Doc Radio. We're back, Andrea Simintov, Israel News com. I just got noticed. This is so exciting. I some my mouth comes away from the mic sometimes because I'm overwhelmed. Uh, we also have joining us we have such a beautiful lineup today, listening live. A lot of you are listening on podcasts. Where the heck are you this morning, South Africa? You're not on live. But anyway. We also have, in addition to the other countries listening in that I mentioned, we also have Colombia, Algeria is with us this morning, Norway, the Russian Federation, India, Croatia, and of course, as I mentioned before, Germany. Okay, hold on. Um, All right, here we go. It is so cold out there. So, you know, this is the portion of the show where we go to Torah. I want to share something with you. I have a a lot of things came across my desk. Some of them are very, very angry, very, very angry with the uh, president of the Ukraine, um, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, who really the world is touting as a rock star. Um, and in in one very particular, just to let you know, one one very particular uh, statement was made actually by the journalist Carolyn Glick, who said, you know, Zelensky spoke via satellite to the Knesset, and he his. And Glick writes that Zelensky's claim that Ukrainians were righteous Gentiles who saved Jews in the Holocaust is sick historical revisionism. The Ukrainians were active, enthusiastic Nazis. Ukrainian Jewry wasn't annihilated in Poland, but in Ukraine. U- in the Ukraine by their neighbors. Um, I read this to you. You know, with, I'm not debating this now I, uh, because it is absolutely a valid opinion of many people living in my corner of the woods. This is interesting. My computer flipped to something else. Okay. So um, I received a lot of notes about that. So before we go into the Devar Torah portion, I think it's important to read something a little bit balanced and not all, you know, rah, rah, raving the banners, but this comes from... um, Rachel Danzinger. And if you don't know who Rachel Danzinger is, her pedigree is impeccable. She is the daughter of Natan and Avital Sharansky. And I'm not going to take the time to tell you who the Sharanskys are. That's your homework assignment. Look up Natan and Avital Sharansky. So she has the right to comment, and I like very much what Rachel Danzinger says. My grandfather's mother is ashes in the Ukraine. My grandfather's siblings are ashes in the Ukraine. Sure, the Nazis were the authors of their wholesale annihilation, but this bloody book was written by Ukrainian hands as well. Thousands of people herded into a building by some Nazi soldiers and their Ukrainian helpers set on fire gone. So yes, I too found the whole our situation is like the Holocaust and remember how we chose to help you 80 years ago. Now you can help us line of Zelensky's speech tonight upsetting. Better not to mention the Holocaust at all than to implore us for help in the name of those few Ukrainians who saved Jews while ignoring the others, so many more others who lent aid or simple apathy to the authors of our deaths. But... When I look at Zelensky, I don't see a man cynically twisting history for some nefarious purpose. I see a man who is fighting for his people, a man who is moved by despair, a man whose grandparents are ashes, too, victims of the same Holocaust. So it's not as though he is shamelessly appropriating other people's tragedy. I see a man trying to hold the line against very daunting odds. Do I wish he didn't use a Holocaust analogy? Yes. Do I fear his rhetoric might alienate rather than convince my fellow Israelis? Yes. But I still think that focusing on his rhetoric and his choices is all too easy a way to ignore the truths he asked us to confront and our own agency. I can reject his comparisons, but also say our own behavior, our own response to this crisis of history is what's important at this time. Okay, so I have shared, that is from Rachel Danziger, daughter of Natan and Avital Sharansky, and it just gives, I believe, a healthy balance to the very, very valid Carolyn Glick, And other, I mean, I have others that make Carolyn look like tiptoe through the tulips. So, um, okay, so let's let's do a little bit of Torah because it's a very, very important Parsha. Okay, the Parsha is called Shemini. And here we have the story of Nadav and Avihu. These were the two eldest sons of Aharon. And they died on the day that the Mishkan, the sanctuary, was dedicated. Crazy. Happy day. Big celebrations, banners, woo-hoo, balloon release. One of the most tragic days in the Torah. It's referred to on no less than four separate occasions. And a day that should have been just pure celebration turns into one of terrible grief and mourning. Aharon, Moshe's brother, he's so bereaved he can't speak. A sense of incredible desperation and sadness fell over the entire camp. God had told Moshe that it was dangerous to have the divine present within the camp, but even Moshe could not have guessed that something this serious, this terrible could happen. So we have to ask ourselves, what did Nadav and Avihu do wrong? Now, there's a lot of interpretations, okay? Um, Some of them said, this is according, I get this from Rabbi Saks, Satzal. They aspired to lead the people, and they were impatiently waiting for Moshe and Aharon to die. Others say that their sin was that they never married. You know what we think about marriage here. (laughs) Torture, but it's the way to go, baby. But I mean, considering all the women, they, they were unworthy of them. Others attribute their sin to public drunkenness. Others say that they didn't seek guidance as to what they should do and what they weren't permitted to do on this holy day. But, you know, there's a very simple explanation. And it's the one that is given. Hello. Let's look at the blueprint. They offered a strange fire that was not commanded. Why should they have done such a thing? And why was it so serious? What is wrong with this? They acted out of a kind of ecstasy. They were caught up in the sheer excitement of the inauguration. This first collective house, it was the grand synagogue in the history of Avraham's children. Their behavior was spontaneous. They wanted to do something extra, uncommanded to express their fervor. You know, there are limits to what we're supposed to do. It's the same story of Adam and Eve, Adam bechava. In Gan Eden. why would God go to the trouble of creating two trees, trees—the tree of life and a tree of knowledge from which human beings are not allowed to eat? Why tell people that what the trees were and what the fruit could do? Why expose them to temptation? What, who wouldn't want to eat from the tree of knowledge? Who wouldn't want eternal gifts, uh, eternal life? Why put Adam and Chava to a test? that they were absolutely unlikely to pass. It's to teach them that there are rules, that even in utopia, there are limits. There are certain things we do and we would like to do and what we must not do. Remember, we are created, in God's image, we are not raw chomer, like animals, just material that goes with the wind. Hungry, we eat. We want to sleep. We want to procreate. Do, 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 do. We have breaks, which is what makes us godlike. Um, you know, I just want to see here. There's a special sin offering. This comes down from Rabbi Wine. You know, there's a special sin offering reserved for the leaders of Israel. The accepted usual sin offering is insufficient if we're dealing with the sins of leadership. This is one of the key lessons of the parsha of the Torah portion. God's justice is personal and exacting. Nadav and Avihu are the prime examples of this truism. If you claim to be a leader... The Torah places great emphasis on the small things in life, on the details, and not only on that grand sweep of things. That's why when we live our personal lives versus our public lives, we're being watched. You know, personal disappointments and tragedies, they're unavoidable. We have a lifespan Some of it's 80 years, some of it's 120, but nobody gets out of this world unscathed by difficulties, hardship, sadness. You know, the rabbis of the Mishnah, they encourage us to all become students and disciples of Aharon, Moshe's brother, Aharon, the Rodef Shalom, the chaser of peace, and to emulate his ways and his attitudes. We have to learn to appreciate his silence in reaction to tragedy and to be inspired by his resilience and continuity in public service in spite of his personal loss and grief. (laughs) If anybody had a right to turn in his resignation, would it not have been Aharon? There's a lesson that's true for us not only on a personal scale, but on a national one as well. Aaron and his descendants are remembered and revered today for their continual blessings and service to the Jewish people. I wish all of us to remember that no matter what our situation is, we'll always attempt to live and be successful on the eighth day. Shabbat Shalom in